You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network. It's Mary Kitts Miller Training Day on Hit'em, but Mary is out and about gathering intel for next month's episode. So sit back and enjoy this previously aired masterpiece from the Hit'em Audio Vaults. Welcome back, Mary, coming to you live from the backseat of her Jeep in Kemp, Texas. Yeah, I'm in the Walmart parking lot in the backseat of a Jeep truck um, because, once again, my Internet is terrible. I just checked the speed the other day, and it's like 0.12 upload speed. Wow. And I don't, yeah, point like three thousandths download. But I'm getting – I'm moving to a log cabin – on the back of my current ranch and I'm getting a new internet service. So I'm hoping that I will do this from my cozy cabin in the woods with actual good internet next month. That's so very fingers exciting. crossed. Very exciting. And I'm glad you mentioned the cabin because no, Mary is not homeless. She's okay. It's not why she's coming to you from the yeah. back seat of her Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, exactly. yeah, it's, it's a podcaster things thing. Podcasters do, crazy things in order to get things to happen. It's not as simple as the people who tell you who the people who sell programs to get you started in podcasting, make it sound like it's so easy and really not so much. Yeah. They don't take into account. Some people live in the country and, um, internet is hard out here. And, uh, yeah. There you go. Especially well, for podcasts. Especially for podcasts. Well, Mary stops by the horses in the morning show, the second Thursday of every month. And we get to sit back and geek out on all things horse training. And every month, Mary brings to us her training tip of the month, with it, month, which is inspired by something. So this month, what is our training tip? And what's it? What's it? Uh, the world is the word is gone. What is it inspired by? There we go. So I've noticed a, we got a ton, a ton of auditor questions this month, which I'm super excited about. Um, and there is a common theme with all of them. And that is, um, they, they all seem unrelated, but I'm seeing a common thread. And that is that your horse is okay half of the time and until he's not. You know, he's okay at home and then you take him on the trail and he freaks out. He's okay in a stall. You try to tie him in cross ties and he freaks out. Or you've desensitized him to 400 million things, um, but then he saw, you know, instead of a green tarp, which he's used to, he saw a purple tarp, and that sent him over the edge. So it can be really exasperating to not know why my horse freaks out at X and not at Y, and what the heck do you do about it? And the thing that I have um, noticed that I've developed over the years of training horses is the first thing I always do with a horse is teach them um, a, how to find kind of a zone. Like here's the place where you're going to be safe. You're going to find release from pressure. Everything's going to be okay. Here's a good, here's the place where you're going to get to rest. And anytime you're not sure what to do, go to this place and it will be okay. And essentially what I'm teaching my horse, um, instead of, uh, hopefully what I want to happen is instead of my horse, um, finding something that scares them and they feel the need to react instead of me having to tell them, Hey, calm down. I would like my horse to remember the lessons that I taught in the beginning and go, okay, I'm not sure what to do, but I remember learning that I'll feel okay if I do this and having them learn to soothe themselves in a practical and safe way. Uh, that's going to keep everybody unscathed. Um, so, what I tend to do with my horses, and I do this a lot with wild mustangs that have never had human contact, I find this uh, point where we need to start. I find this um, foundation of, I teach them face me. 
And, and I do, I find myself doing this with a lot of domestic horses as well. Step one, and the only step you need to be concerned with this moment is just look at me. If you look at me, everything's okay. So for a wild Mustang, um, I will go into a small pen with them. And usually it takes incredibly small amounts of pressure, sometimes just being in there with them. Um, but if they're not paying attention, I might clap my hands. I might make just a little bit of a commotion. It takes very, very little with a wild Mustang. And they might try a few things when I do this. They might dart back and forth. They might look to the fence. They might try to run away. I just, you know, stay really patient um, until that Mustang looks at me. And as soon as he does, I completely take off all pressure. I look down at the ground. I back away as far as I can. I might even leave the corral if they had a hard time finding that that answer in the beginning. And so I do this initially because it's easy to approach them and get a halter on them and everything. Um, but what I'm teaching that horse is you want to do X, Y, Z whenever something is scary. Me being in this pen with you is scaring you and you want to try all these things that might help you out, um, either by running away, uh, facing away from me, um, pacing back and forth. But if you figure out to just look at me, that's where everything's going to be safe. And initially, I'll do this several times until the horse, you know, with consistency, realize, oh, if I just put two eyes on that person, that's where I find the most amount of relief. And as we continue our training and I get them halter broke and everything, that becomes their safe place to go. So if I'm leading them and a plastic bag flows by, if they look at me, they, they, that's usually their first instinct because we've worked on this over and over and over. Instead of them trying to pull the rope away from me, they have learned, oh, when things get scary, I look at my person and everything's okay. And I've, uh, it's amazing how well it works. And if a horse is looking at me, even if he's scared, even if he's reactive, I can at least hang on to him. If he completely turns around and goes the other way, I'm not going to hang on to that rope and we're going to be in a bad situation. Yeah. So how do you Yeah, exactly. When they turn their butt to you, um, then it is a thousand pounds on that lead rope that you're, you're not going to hang on to. But if they look at me, they might have their eyes on me and be dancing sideways or even going backwards. But I still have my hand on the rope. I can keep my hand on the rope. I can keep everything together. So, you know, initially this just becomes a real practical way of the horse learns looking at you as the best option when they're scared so you can hang on to them. But over time, it becomes a place of real rest and comfort for them to put their eyes on you and to face you. Now, when I do this kind of thing with domestic horses, the issue I tend to have with them um, is they run away sometimes but sometimes they want to run right over the top of me and they think that if they get themselves in my front pocket um that they'll be safe well obviously that's not going to work so with a domestic horse i tend to do two things i say keep your eyes on me but stay out away from me and sometimes um with these horses that is all they can manage i can't tell you how many times i've had someone come to me and they say oh my horse paces on the trail or he's distracted or he's this and this and this they have all these complex problems. And I say, okay, we're going to give them two simple things to focus on right now. We're going to not worry about how they're doing on the trail or whether they can trot and canter or collect or whatever. We're going to see, can I get them to put their eyes on me and stay in their space? And it might take 15, 20 minutes just to get that to happen. And I just tell the horse, um, you know, I'm going to release pressure when you look at me and you stay in your space. And I'll have to remind them over and over and over again to do that. And this is something I learned working for a clinician. This is the first thing he would do when he'd get horses to work in demos. Is these horses usually hadn't been on the, off the barn, maybe ever. And the owner hands the horse to him and they're screaming and running around circles and running over the owner. First thing he did when he would take the horse is back them off of him. He'd wiggle the rope, did whatever he had to do to get the horse to get back out of his space. And then he would get the horse to look at him. You know, he might tip, tip their nose toward him. He might make a little commotion. So the horse looks at him and then he'd release. You constantly put the horse in that spot. Look at me, stay back there, release. Look at me, stay back there, release. Look at me, stay back there, release. And the horse might hold that position for a split second. And then he's screaming again, just without emotion. He would just 
no, you need to stay back there. You need to put two eyes on me. Stay back there. Put two eyes on me. And without fail, it might take several minutes, but without fail, this horse, which was nuts and like hanging from the rafters before, would just all of a sudden go, ah, head down, lick you, lick you, lick you, lick you. And it's like that horse finally is like, oh, okay, this is what I do to feel better. Oh, thank God, someone is helping me and I've learned to help myself. And, if, you know, in the beginning, you are putting the horse there yourself. Like you're telling him, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do a hundred times. But after a while, if you practice this consistently, um, the horse will go. I've seen it many, many times where something spooky will happen to the horse. And at first I see the flight instinct into their brain and they tense up and their head goes up. And they're kind of like, should I explode? And then I see the wheels working and they go, no, I should face my owner and stay out of her space. And this is, this is what I know to be the safest place in this situation. And I've seen horses learn to soothe themselves and put themselves in that safe, happy spot. And it's really fascinating when that happens. And I'm so excited when that happens. And then eventually you won't even have the flight instinct happen anymore. You'll go through this period where they'll think about fleeing and then they go to their safe spot. And then eventually you just have a horse that learns they've got, they've gotten this emotional maturity and they learn, you know what, being with my person and putting all my attention on my person, that has always worked for me in the past. Everything's going to be okay. I'm going to look to them when the scary thing happens and it's all going to be fine. And it's a really cool process. So, my favorite thing to do is always figure out, okay, how do I as a horse person recognize when I'm doing something incorrectly? So how do I recognize doing that correctly versus, and this is something you see a lot, um, something has caused the horse to be on alert. The flight reflex is starting to kick in. And the human in charge of that horse, does not allow the horse to react to it. For example, uh, riding your horse sees banner on side of arena, sees giant flowers in the letter in the dressage arena. He wants desperately to freak out. You don't let him. You keep riding. Or you are leading your horse across a showgrounds and there are 16 bicycles parked at the food stand. Horse wants to smash you to get away from them. You turn his head around and you back him up past the things and you keep going. Where In these cases, the horse is not allowed to react to those things. How does that differ from using this method of telling the horse to find his center? If you're doing it correctly, how would you react to both of those situations? Ooh. Excellent, excellent question. Tough stuff. And this, We're asking yes, hard questions today. These are definitely the biggest pitfalls. I see the two the two reasons this will not work um, is you're micromanaging and um, you're not allowing the horse to do anything, or you're punishing him when he does have this reaction. Um, for me, I'm dealing with a thousand pound prey animal that has millions of years of evolution and biology that tells them to run, 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 run. So I'm going to be a little forgiving if he spooks. An honest spook, that's not your horse being a turd. And I understand it's frustrating or it's scary. And when we get scared, we tend to get tense. And sometimes we get angry. And I totally get that. So even if the horse spooks, even if they spook badly, I will never punish. It's not going to be emotional. I'm not going to get angry. I may do whatever I have to do to get control of the situation, but I'm not going to treat it as punishment. I don't want to come at it um, as punishment and I don't want to micromanage. So the brilliant thing about when you're working on the ground and it goes, there's a whole other realm of things that happen when you're under saddle, but let's talk about you're leading your horse and he spooks. My rule is if you have two eyes on me and you are out of my space, have a heart attack. It's okay. You know, as long as you've got your eyes on me, I can control you as long as you're not running over the top of me, it's going to be okay. That's why I do those two things is, you know, if you're doing somersaults, but you're out there away from me, it's going to be okay. So I, I tell the horse, 
when I do this exercise or when I do any kind of desensitizing or anything that involves pressure and stressful situations, what I'm essentially telling the horse is like, listen, I get it. Everything is telling you to move. You need to move your feet. I understand. I, I cannot force you to not do it. I can't tie your legs together. Even if I did, you'd still find a way to move your feet. So you can move your feet, but keep two eyes on me and just stay back away from me. So oftentimes when you give, allow them that little bit of freedom and you really have no choice, they're going to move. I mean, you're not going to be able to completely stop it. Um, but if they know they have that little freedom of, I can still move. It's okay. I'm not being forced to stand still. They'll often go, oh, okay, I can calm down. The other thing that is going to be an issue that, in which this will not work is if you never tell them you're doing good. So we often have this fear they're going to do something really bad and we micromanage, 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 and we never release because we're so sure that we're going to lose control. The horse is going to be bad in the next split second that we never give them a chance to be good. So anytime my horse is doing what I want, which is, hey, put two eyes on me, stay out of my space. I'm going to loosen that lead rope and I'm going to give them space and I'm going to do whatever I can to let them know you're in the zone. This is good. This is a good place for you. I'm not going to try and choke hold on that lead rope and make them stand still or be tense or fidgeting or, you know, constantly nagging on them. When they find that space, I'm going to release loose lead rope, relaxed posture. I'm going to let them stop and stand for a second, whatever. They might jump right out of it in the next split second and try to whirly bird around and I might have to get control of them right away. But every time we get back to that zone, look at me and stay out of my space. I want to release. You have to allow them to learn. Um, so, so from the ground, that is how I tackle that. And, you know, with the writing, um, my, my thing that I try to do is just keep them between my legs, keep them between my hands get them going forward. And as soon as they're safe and they're being good and they're calm, loosen those reins. You don't have to throw your reins away because, you know, I understand you need to keep a decently um, snug rein to, to control the situation, but relax your hands, relax your aids, relax everything and let them know you're being good. When you're here, I'm going to release everything. If that makes sense. Yeah, that does. And I actually experienced a little bit of this last weekend. I took Nigel up to a hunter pace with a friend of mine. And they have a water jump there. And the water jump has an exterior water source. There's a pipe that pops out of the ground that pours water into it. Well, it was broken. So the only thing coming out of the pipe was air. And it was hissing and spitting at quite a loud volume. It was about yeah. a two-inch pipe. So it was under pressure. So it was hissing and spitting and little bits of air, air and stuff flying everywhere. So, of course, the horses are terrified of it. Nigel knew it was there because he has experienced that exact same pipe before. I took him to this same hunter pace several years ago when I first got him. And I would only had him about a week. And it wasn't pretty. We'll just say that. It wasn't oh, pretty no. at all. But I did get home without getting dirt on my butt. But that's about as far as it went. Uh, so I was kind of ready for this to start happening. And, of course, we got 20 yards away, and everybody loses their marbles. So now that I have a little bit of a relationship with him, because it, when the first time it happened, I didn't even know him. It was hold on for dear life or die. We have a little bit of a relationship. I had a little bit more trust. So rather than cranking him in and controlling him and saying, you will get close enough to this and we will make this happen. Um, what I would be doing in that under those circumstances is I would not be allowing him to react to the scary thing. You will go here. You may not jump. You may not leap. You may not rear. You may not fly sideways. You will go here. I would be keeping him between my hand and my leg and controlling his every movement so that we don't die. That's what happened the first time. We didn't get very close to it, but I, I controlled his every movement and we didn't die. So this time I'm going, you know, we need to let him express what he needs to express so he can get it at, so he can feel safe. He needs to move his feet. Before we got it done, but he didn't feel safe doing it. He hadn't have a positive learning experience. So what I did is I moved away from the scary water jump to a distance where he went, okay, I feel safe now. And I relaxed my age so he could just walk 
on a reasonably loose rein. I kept them short enough so that if we did have a dart, I could stay on. So that he w- he felt like, okay, I'm walking. You don't need to control me. I'm cool. And I just continued to make circus around that. And I would make a circuit and get two feet closer. If his adrenaline went up and I felt like, uh-oh, I need to control him more or we're going to lose our marbles, I went back out again. And I left him stay at that level where he, he felt cool. He's comfortable. Two feet in. He's still, he's cool, he's comfortable. Cool. Two feet closer. He's cool, he's comfortable. And we were making a, a, a circle around it. I wasn't walking straight towards it because um, that is going to, he's going to feel like he's being forced closer to it. I didn't want him to feel like he was being forced. Hey, let's go over there. You want to go? Sure, let's go over there. Two feet closer, two feet closer. Now we only got within maybe 20 feet of this scary, terrifying water jump. But we did it in such a way that he always felt like he was making the decision to be that close. He wasn't forced to be that close. If he needed to get further away, he could. We could just walk. He would start to tense up. I'd say, oh, let's go over there, a little further away. And we maybe spent five minutes on that. Completely different horse. So I'm pretty sure the next time I go out and we do that, and he hears that water jump, because you can hear it from 50 yards away. It's a terrible sound. I'm going to have a different horse because he'll say, oh, I, I feel pretty confident she's not going to force me closer to that terrifying object. I got pretty close last time and it wasn't psychologically or physically uncomfortable because he didn't feel trapped and he didn't feel physical discomfort because I wasn't getting in his mouth. I wasn't kicking him. So it was completely different process. And I'm really actually looking forward to going back out and trying it again to see how well that stuck. But that's a very different process than the first time or what I maybe would have done five years ago under the same situation. It was like, put them together and make them go past. Mm, let's try a different a different tack. And for the rest of that ride, he was such a different horse than he typically is when he gets out onto a cross-country course with lots of stuff. He was much more confident and much more engaged with with the process rather than constantly being, you will do this, you will do this, you will do this. It was like, yay, let's go over there. Okay, cool. He was more participant, which was very interesting. Very cool. Yeah, I'd be really interested to see how he does the next time out. And, you know, when you compare that method with, with you know, just kind of making him sort of man up and do it, um, it's easy to get fooled into thinking, well, you know, like I, I've experienced this with working with tarps. Um, I used to just make the horse cross the tarp. And I thought if I did it 400 times, they eventually just get over it, you know, like cross right. the tarp, cross the tarp, cross the tarp. And I had one horse in particular that just, he never got over it. He, he might cross it nine times out of 10. And then that 10th time was like, he stepped on a landmine. And when I changed my tactic, um, I did just kind of like what you're saying of, Hey, there's a tarp out here, but you know, let's just focus on this. And when you're ready to go to it, you go to it. And when you look at, you know, like, well, I didn't even get him near it. It looks like you didn't make any progress versus, well, you know, I could have made him cross it 400 times if I'd done this. And that seems like a lot more progress, but what's going to really tell on you is how is the horse like, you know, if you give him a rest and you come to it the next day, what's going to happen. And I, I tell you what, the horses that I do the other way of, of kind of, it seems more roundabout. And when I finally bring them to the tarp, they just cross it and they're fine with it for the rest of their lives. They never have a problem again, but the horses that I just sort of bottled up and said, you're going to do this. And even though I crossed the tarp hundreds of times with them, they always seem to be edgy with it. And it never really just became a thing that they could do completely comfortably. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. I I don't think I'm going to add anything to that. That is just, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's profound. And, and it's a, it's a gap in our training in that we thought we've trained the horse through something. Um, when in fact he didn't have the opportunity to understand it. It's like whenever you learn something in school, if you understand it, the mechanics of how it works, if you add, if you understand adding and subtracting, you're going to understand multiplication and division better. If you've just memorized the tables without understanding the concept, multiplication and division isn't going to work so good for you. So it's a little bit of that. So that's really cool. We're going to take a quick break here because we have talked nonstop. We are going to jump into our first listener question. Sound like a deal? 
Some people don't think horses and people communicate. We call those people not horse people. Not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond, or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs. But not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at FeedSentinel.com. Our first listener question, who's it coming from and what is it? Oh my gosh, we have so many perfect, good questions. I'm so excited about all of these. Um, Let's uh, go off the topic we were talking on just to change things up. Um, And we have Jill Reed and she says, any tips on getting my horse to stretch long and low while on the lunge line or long lining? And I love this question because this is something that for years I thought was like you had to have some sort of magical formula to get this to happen. I didn't know how people were able to get this done with their horses. And I worked reining horses, worked in reining barns for years, and um, they like their horses. Uh, the, the frame that's in vogue with reiners right now is kind of a long and low look. Now, I don't agree with all of the stuff there they're doing to get their horses to look super fancy. It's gotten a little stylized, but I digress. Um, but that's what we wanted was we did want the horse, at least when we were warming them up and stuff to stretch that head and neck out and, you know, lower that pole and just have this kind of pleasing arc to them. And of course, uh, it is something, uh, when you're working on dressage and stuff, it's one of the building blocks is to be able to get them to do that. So I actually learned how to do this from a rainer. He, he could get his horses free lunging in the round pen to like lope around with their nose in the dirt. And like, he didn't do any magical cue and he didn't like put any long, you know, long lines or, um, side reins or anything like that. They just did it. And I asked him and he said, Oh, all you do is as they're going around, um, when they put their head down, just let them stop for a moment and then go again. And then next time they drop their head down, just do that again. And then eventually that's just how they go around. And I was like, what? That's really easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's way too straightforward. That can't possibly yeah, work. Yeah, it's like so easy. I don't have to buy a system to make it happen. Um, and this works when you're riding as well. And I, since I've learned this and developed this, I never, I, I had a Frisian in training for several months. And I actually had to tell him, hey, pick your head up. Because he was going around like a Western pleasure horse, which is not how Frisians are supposed to do that. But um, so here's here's what I learned when you're when you're lunging your horse, round pinning your horse, the more relaxed and forward you get them to go, um, not jumping and running forward and bolting when they learn to get this cadence in their gait and go around, you know, consistently forward and relax. What naturally happens anyway is that pole will drop they will start to drop their head. Um, and sometimes as they're going around, sometimes they just will put their head down randomly. Maybe they're sniffing the dirt or whatever. No matter what happens, when you see that pole begin to lower, it doesn't have to go all the way down to the ground when, you know, if they're going around with their head pretty high and all of a sudden that pole lowers a couple of inches, I stop everything. Um, I'll just get in a really relaxed kind of neutral position now, in the beginning, when you're doing this, uh, especially if you have a more hot-blooded horse or a horse that may just be used to kind of lunging around and around, they might not see me change my body language and giving them permission to stop. Um, so you can bring them to a stop. Uh, so if you're in the round pen, you can step in front of them. If you've got them on the line, give them a cue to stop. But I, I bring them to a stop, and I let them just sit there for a moment or two, you know, seven seconds. It doesn't have to be forever. Um, and then I just say, okay, continue. And I have them go around again and it might take, I don't know, it might take several more circles. Um, but likely there, I will see their pole drop again. Um, and then when they do that, I, I give them permission to stop again. So I have this with my horses to where if I just stop having any energy in my body and I just kind of look down and relax, my horses will stop again. If your horses aren't picking up on that, you can just say, whoa, or again, use your lunge line, do whatever cue you need to, to bring them to a stop. And pretty soon they're going to learn, hey, when I drop my head, I get to rest for a moment. And even a hot-blooded horse will appreciate this. You might think, well, my horse doesn't care if he gets to stop and breathe. He could go forever. 
um, just that moment of no pressure right now, they do come to appreciate this. And pretty soon you'll see them, uh, they'll actually kind of go through a period where they're bobbing their head up and down. Um, so when they do that, when they kind of get into this, I know dropping my head will get me uh, a break. Um, then what I do to kind of quit this bobble thing that goes on is I will just wait until they hold it a moment or two longer. So they've learned now, oh, I dropped my head. I get a break. This is great. They'll drop their head and I'll just wait until they hold it just a split second longer. Okay, now you can have a break. And you just tack on a few more seconds of, hey, can you hold that a few more strides? And it's, I do this when I ride as well. Um, you know, if I'm loping around and my horse is kind of high headed because it's the beginning of the ride, but we've gone three or four circles and they just kind of start relaxing that head and neck and dropping their pole, I will bring them to a stop and say, hey, you're going around beautifully. Let's take a break. And I actually now do this with clicker training, which gets it done a million times faster is if I see them do something pleasing like that on the lunge line or as I'm riding, I actually will click them and say, hey, cookie for that. That was amazing. And uh, so it's really just as simple as that, whether you're uh, using positive reinforcement or not, just when you see them go around in a pleasing way that you're like, this is what I want you to look like, um, just give them a break. There we go. Something I've, Nigel has taught me, every horse I've ever owned has taught me something. Something, some frequently it was like, oh, wow, that horse taught me that. And I don't realize it till 20 years later, but um, thoroughbred, taking a, I'll use my air quotes, a break from, again, air quotes, work makes you questions like, do they really find that as a reward? Because uh, thoroughbreds like to work. They like to sweat. They like to breathe hard. It's something they find um, engaging. It's like, woo, let's go do this. I found that once I learned to recognize the type of work he was doing, is he working thoughtfully or is he working in a state of flight? So confrontation is, is his mental work, the kind of work he needs to be doing. When I recognize that and I get him working in a mental state that is positive, he's working because he understands what he's being asked to do and he's working um, without the flight reflex being engaged, then he he gets the whole let's stop and take a breather. Let's let's perfect. That's exactly what I want you to do. Let's stop here and take a breather and relax. It works. It totally works on a thoroughbred. The difference being is we often don't recognize that um, we have him on a long line or a lunge line or we're practicing 20 meter circles. He's he's in a flight mode in his little brain. So taking a taking a break and stopping is not recognized as relief from pressure because he wants to get away. His his brain his flight brain's working. He doesn't want to stand still. That's bad. Don't stand still. Oh my god, I need to move. So if you can find those places that the horse is working with you, he's not going, oh, I need to move. Then he recognizes, oh, break time, even though he's hot and sweaty and he just galloped a quarter of a mile. He was galloping a quarter of a mile in a different mindset. And when I, when I discovered that, it's like, oh, wow, look at that. He really does enjoy it. Even though he is a thoroughbred and he loves to gallop for hours on end, this is a horse that um, he doesn't even take a chill. He doesn't even take a deep breath for five miles. He's that kind of guy. Um, so if you're finding yourself struggling with the process of take a physical break, stop and be still for three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. If that's not something your horse finds relief in, investigate that part of the, the equation. Is your horse mentally not with you? Is he mentally be feeling like he's needs to get away? Is his flight reflex being engaged? So that's just my little, my little yes. piece of the puzzle. I have never found a horse not love it. I've had several horses that it took me many weeks of saying, you're going to stand for a moment and it's going to be okay. So it wasn't initially rewarding to them. But after a while, then I was like, can you go again? I know we've stood here for 10 minutes. Um, and even if you don't believe in using it as a reward, it is still a valuable tool to teach because I've seen more horse accidents that came when someone needed their horse to stand for a moment in a stressful situation and their horse wouldn't or couldn't 
and they got hurt. You know, let's say you're riding on the trail and your friend has an accident and falls off and you all need to stop right now in this very scary situation so you guys can help your friend get your bearings. Um, and if your horse doesn't have any skill with that at home in calm situations, um, it's not going to work now when, some, you know, yeah. when something very dangerous has happened and you need them to stop for long enough for you to get off of them. Um, yeah. So definitely get that in your brains of thinking about letting your horse learn how to have these breaks. Yeah. And it will be a better relationship for it. I really think it it's one, it's one of those core skills that being still for a moment, either under saddle or in hand, um, this goes back to our tip of the month, is a core skill. It's right up there with stop, go, move away from, you know, lead, move away from pressure on your halter. That's a real core skill that um, has applications in just about everything we do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a good foundation. There we go. What's our next? And by the way, before we get to our next question, how do you get to ask a question on Mary Kitzmiller's monthly training day? You get to be an auditor. Auditors are folks who help support the Horse Radio Network uh, by tossing a couple of bucks into the pot every month. Uh, the, the minimum amount, I believe, is like five bucks. If you find value in what we do here on the Horse Radio Network and want to help support the network and its hosts, uh, you can do that. All you need to do is go to either horseradionetwork.com or horsesinthemorning.com and click on the little button that says auditor or become an auditor. It's easy to do. And you also get to be part of our top secret, super special Facebook page, not so top secret, uh, and ask questions of our various and sundry hosts. And you get to participate in meetups and you get to qualify for special perks of all sorts. So stop by Horse Radio Network or horsesinthemorning.com and check out the auditor button. There we go. What's our next question, girl? Okay, we've got one from Sam Dorney. It is, how can I encourage my horse to keep a consistent pace on his own without making me without me making a ton of adjustments? I try to use half halt, speed up, or slow down my posting, weight shifts, circles, etc., Although he's green, I don't want to overmanage him. It is worse on hills, but he is inconsistent on flat ground too. So, um, half halts, slowing down your posting, weight shifts, all of that stuff, circles, etc. All of those are great slow down cues. But especially with a green horse, often in the beginning, um, if they're pretty hot, they tend to just blow right through those. And you can try and shift your weight all you want or relax your seat all you want or gentle half halt all you want. And it's just not working. <laughs> so then you find yourself kind of like your knuckles are white on the reins and pretty soon your half halts become like half pulls and it's your horse is still just kind of blowing through all of that. So at this stage in the horse's training, when um, I'm working on a colt that's pretty green and they don't know speed control, uh, I do a lot of loose lint rein riding and I make sure that I have some sort of emergency shut down. So what I do is I tip the no horse's nose to one side, yield their hindquarters, bring them to a complete stop. So with a horse like this, um, I will usually do this one rein stop uh, or you know, maybe you're riding English and you don't want to make your horse move laterally. Uh, whatever reason, if you don't do a run one rein stop, if you can at least bring your horse to a complete halt, if he's getting a little too uppity, you just want to make sure you have that ability to completely shut them down, stop their feet from moving. So, um, what I will do with this horse is as long as I'm pretty sure he's not going to explode and buck me off or just run off and, you know, not have any control. I let him play with his speed. I give him freedom to move and see um, where, where you know, help him find out where he's going to feel his best, where he's going to move the most consistently. So what I mean by that is let's start with trotting. Um, I will have, I kind of set these little mental rules in my head of what I will allow the horse to do before I intervene. So I have on Western horses, I'll have the rein like really loose because I've got a saddle horn, I've got a cannel, I've got all sorts of stuff that's going to keep me in that saddle. Um, if you're riding English and you don't want to just completely throw your reins away and uh, leave it up to fate, you don't have to, but have a loose rein. Get out of their mouth. And so when I'm trotting the horse, I will say I will allow the horse to trot 
as fast as he wants, but if he breaks into canter, I will shut him down. Um, same with a lazy horse. I will allow him to trot as slow as he wants, but if he breaks into a walk, I will ask him to move forward. So I start the horse in a trot, and um, we just go trotting around. I actually will do this in a large arena, and I don't. I won't even control where they're going. I'm like, trot wherever you want. If you don't feel that cavalier, you don't have to do that. Um, but I let them trot on a loose rein. I don't care where their head is. I don't care how collected they are. Because if I can't control their speed, collection is like way above what we're able to do yeah. right now. Yeah, it's a few steps away, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to be worrying about if he can half pass really well if I can't control how fast he's going. So wherever you want to put your head, as long as it's not in my face or between your legs, we're good. And I let them trot around, and they might get this really fast jackhammer trot. Totally fine with that. You know, as long as it's reasonably in control, I'll just post. I'll post along with it. I don't. I have my legs relaxed, my seat is relaxed, and I just let them explore that. If at any point I feel we're not safe right now, I will just shut them down. So don't think you have to do something if your body's saying we're in danger. Shut them down. Uh, but in general. Trot as fast as you want, but if you break into canter, okay, I'm going to shut you down. So, again, in my case, I will just tip their nose, yield their hindquarters, come to a complete stop, and then I will take a breath, wait a moment, and then I will ask them to go again. If you're not doing a one-ring stop, just bring them to a halt any way you can. Bring them to a complete stop. Make them stop their feet, and then make them wait for a moment. It doesn't have to be a minute. Just make them wait. I don't want, if they start trotting before I ask them to, I'm going to bring them to a stop again. I'm going to say, wait at least one second and wait for me to tell you to trot. So once I do that, we kind of get settled. I'll pick up the trot again. They might go right back into that jackhammer trot. That's all right, as long as we're safe. And we just keep going. Now, some horses like my big fat lazy Mustang Remy would do this for exactly three minutes. And he would go, you know what? I want to jog because I thought trotting fast would be fun. And then I realized I'm burning calories and I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> That's not as easy with uh, other horses. Some bloodlines of thoroughbreds, some bloodlines of Arabians. Um, but that's okay. Um, they might trot fast for a little while. I don't care if they necessarily slow down. I'm looking for consistency. So pretty soon they realize if they speed up too much, they get shut down. Um, but you don't bother them if they stay in a trot. So that's your starting point. And I found that over time, giving them this freedom to kind of explore their speed a little bit without also worrying about, oh, is your shoulder lifted? Are you on the bed? Are you, you know, are you moving off my inside leg? When you give them that freedom, a lot of horses just go, oh, okay, I don't really need to go as fast as I thought I did anymore. And they will slow down to whatever is really natural for them. The first horse I ever learned this on was a freight train locomotive Morgan horse. And Morgans are, they're meant to be able to work in the field all day and then win races at night. There's no bottom to a Morgan horse. And the first time a dressage um, trainer said, canter her, it was canter at that point in my life, on a loose rein, I thought this lady was nuts. <laughs> As soon as I went a couple of circles around on a loose rein, my Morgan horse went, oh, that's so nice. And she slowed down. And I, I, all the martingales and stuff I used to try to, like, bring this horse into frame and not run off with me, all it took was a French league snaffle and giving her a dang loose rein. So that's why you let her find her own balance. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then usually you will have a horse that learns to manage their pace and then you can start coming in with more fancy cues and putting them on the bridle and using slowing down but the initially giving them that freedom to kind of experiment with your speed yep they might kind of go nuts for a while and go wee and go really fast um but after a while when they realize that you're not trying to micromanage them and hang on to the face they kind of go oh well this is lovely and they just slow down yeah the um and this is something you you find a lot in the dressage community because in competitive dressage, in classical dressage, we are required to ride the horse forward into contact. And we are, the, the entire sport is, the discipline is 
based on micromanagement. You are literally managing every square inch of the horse's balance and body. Well, that's what it does. But that micromanagement has to be so incredibly precise. That's what makes the discipline so difficult to master. It's easy to get into the micromanagement part without the precision. So I can totally feel his pain. I've been there many, many, many times. Oh, um, and it's and it's not uh, for sure. It's not exclusive to dressage, although that's a perfect example. Um, you know, it's the same in the reining horses and and high performance Western horses. Is we're thinking about all these parts that make the finished product. Of their shoulder has to be here, and their hip has to be here, and their rib cage needs to be here, and their pole needs to be here. And the problem with both of those disciplines and doing all that is we're doing that at the beginning instead of it. We should that should be the culmination of yeah. all the training we've done. So that's, on that's a baby a good point. horse, that needs to be the end, yeah. not the beginning. Yeah. On a on a baby horse, you need to think he can probably manage in his brain three things, not forty seven things that a Grand Prix horse can do. And so we're often trying to do all these little cues with our legs and our seat and da 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 and not only get him to trot slow, but he needs to trot slow and he needs to be on the bit and his shoulder needs to be up and his haunches need to be down and he needs to be engaged. And no, no, no. That's, that's like if I made a kindergartner go through high school algebra, he's going to go nuts. <laughs> um, or he's just not going to learn at all. Yeah. First, let's learn to color kind of within the lines. Keep the crayon on the paper and then we can make it more complex. <laughs> Keep the crayon on the paper. And one, one final comment for this particular question is... If you're struggling with a half halt, that means your halt doesn't work properly. Exactly. It's nothing but a half of a halt, right? So take a step back, go back to a walk, and master the halt. If the halt can't be of the absolute highest quality, then don't go on to half halts and don't go on to trot. So maybe that's a good place to to play around and start in some very familiar territory. Um, and that's the last comment I'll because we can just go on for days on end. I know. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to take a little break here. And then when we come back, we are going to do another listener question. So pick one out. Horse and Rider On Demand allows you to train smarter, not harder. Our training video collection featuring some of the industry's top Western professionals like Bud Lyon, Cody Crow, Ryan Rushing, and more can help you perfect your horsemanship and improve your performance in the arena. Get access to hundreds of videos and learn more about events like ranch horse versatility, reining, working cow horse, ranch riding, and more for just $14.99 a month. Watch anywhere, anytime. Horse and Rider On Demand can be streamed from any smart device. Visit ondemand.horseandrider.com to start your seven-day free trial. That's ondemand.horseandrider.com. Okay, so this one is from, and I'm going to pronounce the name wrong. Is it Sian? Um, it could be Sean. I don't know. I'm so sorry. Griffiths. Oh, that's and Sean. Very... That's Sean. Sean. You know, I thought it was that's Sean. That's the Irish version. Yes. I Okay. Yep. Um, okay. So got, glad we got that sorted. Um, but this sort of ties in with the whole theme. Um, a lot of us have new COVID ponies. And I'm not sure what that means. I'm, I'm a sh- I think it means you bought a pony in the time of COVID. Everybody's got a COVID pony. Yes. We, we're, we, okay. we needed something to brighten our lives. We spent way too much time at home, working from home, have time to play with the ponies. Get one. Okay. I have COVID donkeys. Okay. That makes total sense. You have donkeys. Yeah, that's right. You have COVID donkeys. Yeah. Um, so mine in particular has never been off the farm where he was bred. He's now 12 years old, seeing goats, chickens for the first time, pretty okay. Uh, his general response is to freeze and get super tall. But today he broke the cross ties when someone made noise on the other side of the wall, retrieving some fencing. Basic thought is, I wonder if we could use something on helping horses adjust to new homes or easing the legitimate fears they have about new things. Um, the farrier comes to trim his way over long feet tomorrow, and I'm hoping to hop on and ride him for the first time Thursday. He's been on pasture for God knows how long. So we're going to walk briefly with the trainer there and call it good. Any tips on making that experience a success would also be great. Okay, 
So I want to here. There's a lot. There's like four questions in one, but I think they all relate to the same thing. Um, but I wanted to get to this question because what I'm seeing in all of your leading up to first ride is red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to make sure I address this. Um, so new horse to you. Um, he's, you know, inexperienced with being off the farm. He's in a new place. He's had some spooky situations at this point. Uh, in one case, he broke cross ties. Um, his feet haven't been trimmed a while. Don't know when he was last ridden. So I would not, even if you're getting on for a walk, and of course you have your trainer there. So, you know, consult your trainer. This is just my secondary opinion. But if this was a horse that like you were bringing to me to ride this uh, ride for the first time, I would not be riding this horse right now. I would be doing groundwork. Um, and I would rather be pleasantly surprised with the horse showing me everything he knows and he turns out to be amazingly broke. And then I get on and it's even it just confirms everything than thinking it's going to be OK and not having it go well, because even at a walk, horses can do things to you that are not fun. Um, so I'd say uh, in order to kind of get a handle on this guy and help him cope with it, being in a new barn and making him safe for your first ride, I would um, think heavily about groundwork. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of programs out there that are great with this sort of thing. If you're big into John Lyons, Pat Pirelli, um, one of my favorite books for groundwork is, and I've promoted it a lot, is by Buck Brandeman, and it's just a little red book that just says groundwork. It's very simple, uh, quick read, and it gives you some ideas to get started. Um, doing things with this horse, like teaching him how to face up to you when he's scared, getting control of his feet on the ground, teaching him to yield his hindquarters, how to side pass on the ground, how to move his shoulders, how to back away from you, how to come forward to you, and how to... Um, uh, react when he is experiencing new things like maybe a flag or a whip or a plastic bag. So doing some desensitizing, all of these things will not only help get him uh, good for your first ride or confirm what you were hoping that he's really quite nice to ride already. Um, so all of these things will help you get him ready for that moment. But the practice of doing this, even though it might not seem to relate to be related to him standing in cross ties, it can teach him the skills he needs to be able to cope with scary new things that he's not used to yet. So for instance, like with tying a horse in cross ties, my horses, I do all before I ever tie him up um, or tie him like solid to anything or put him in cross ties. I just do groundwork and my groundwork involves a lot of teaching the horse to come to pressure. Hey, when you feel the halter pull on you in this way, come toward it, give to that pressure. Um, and also desensitizing. Hey, something's flapping around you and making some noise. Here's what you do to, to be okay. So when I go through all of that, usually the first time I tie my horse, I just tie them and they're fine because it's, I've done lots of stuff through my groundwork that shows them that, that is going to be using all the skills they need to tie, you know, give to pressure. So if you feel the halter pulling on you in a certain way, come forward, give to it. Don't pull back against it. Oh, if something makes noise off in the distance, you know what to do. Relax, stand still, wait for further instruction. So I would say the answer to this sort of roundabout question is get your groundwork on point. I think it will help your relationship with your horse immensely. And good luck with your new pony. There we go. Woohoo! Great advice. <laughs> Take it slow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. An interesting interview we did quite some years ago. We uh, chatted with some folks that um, would take young horses and get them started for police under saddle work for so they could be mounted police Ooh. horses. And we chatted with somebody who did police work. And one of the comments they made was when they get horses in that are not youngsters, that are made horses that are donated to a police department, they literally start from day one. They assume the horse yep. has never been touched by a human being because the way they get those horses to be the way they are, that are just apparently incredibly bomb-proof, is they start from square one, and they said, invariably, it doesn't matter what kind of horse it is, how much experience it's had, what its, what its career has been, there's always some little gap somewhere. And a gap 
in the training is what gets you into mischief later on. So what I got out of that conversation is start from square one and make sure there's no gaps and you're going to have a lot fewer setbacks. If you just, you, you got to be sequential. Don't assume that he's learned something because if there's one gap, it'll come and get you later on. As a professional trainer, this has saved my life more times than I probably know. Um, because one, other people's opinion of broke is always going to be different from yours. Yeah. We always have different <laughs> ideas of what broke should be. You know, I've seen horses that were perfect in every arena for someone, but the, the former owner never backed the horse out of the trailer. The horse was a, a ranch horse and they always were led off of a stock trailer. So then this person put their horse in a straight load, not knowing, and then couldn't get the horse back off the trailer for several hours. And it wasn't that the owner was bad and the new person was stupid. It's just, there is a disconnect they didn't know about if they had, you know, done a little bit of working on some things, they could have found that out. And I've had horses that came to me for like a two week tune up, explode with a saddle that I put on them and, you know, come to find out the owner was like, Oh yeah, he did buck like three people off last week. So never, <laughs> ever, they forgot to tell me when their horse is here for a tune up. So never, ever, ever assume, you know, if the horse is amazing and checks every box, then going through this will take a day and you'll be pleasantly surprised and you'll have peace of mind. So always, I, I do that with every horse that walks into the door, uh, walks into the barn. Yeah. As a, and as a trainer who gets all kinds of different horses in there, in my personal opinion, I'm not you, you'd be a little foolish to not do that. And why not start from the beginning? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And this is this is advice I didn't always uh, take myself. So uh, learn from not my pain and not your own. <laughs> there we go. And we have time for one more listener submitted question. Who gets the honor? Oh, man, I'll go with uh, a quick one. Let's go with Marie Cornell. Is there a version of a Bozal um, that has chin pressure. I want a bit more than a Bozal, but not as much chin pressure as a stop and turn or mechanical hack, Ho hoping for no metal or all rawhide. Okay, so for those of you who might not know what that is, uh, a traditional hackamore, and I don't consider anything else a hackamore, but this, it's kind of an upside down teardropped rawhide nose band, and then it's got a string of leather that's considered the hanger. And then usually horsehair reins called Makati. And that whole thing makes a hackamore. And it's, you know, it comes from uh, the Vaquero or California style of training. And it's actually, I have now pretty much replaced my snaffle bits in my barn with this equipment. My horses will go straight from the bazaar and they will uh, go to be bridal horses from that point. But anyway, um, the way a bazaar works, actually, I believe they do, they can cause quite a bit of chin pressure it's not a direct pull like a side pull or a snaffle so like if you just pull back on both reins it really puts a different signal to your horse than uh how a snaffle would uh because the reins go to this big knot under the horse's chin uh, so it actually has a bit of leverage to it um so the way i use a bozal is i really try not to have a direct pull i do a lot of picking up and releasing, and, and that's a lot of signals. So I believe that a bazaar has chin pressure, but it might be different than what you're looking for. So Marie, what I would be looking for, um, yeah, I wouldn't go with a mechanical hackamore. We tend to think that, oh, it doesn't have a bit, so it's got to be really gentle. No, they can have a lot of torque to them. I, I think people use them, you know, in a good way, um, and to each his own, but it's not something that I really like to use, nor do I recommend other people use it, especially if you don't understand the mechanics of it. Um, so if you're not wanting that kind of traditional, traditional hackamore bazaar or a mechanical hackamore or anything in between those kinds of things, what I would probably recommend is a, is a side pull. And, um, I think like Weaver leather makes one. Uh, it's simply a leather it kind of looks like a halter it goes around the horse's nose like a cavison and it's got little rings on the side and I've had a lot of good luck with those um it acts more close to a snaffle bit than a hackamore does um so that's something you might look into um 
there are a few other things on the market, Dr. Cook's bitless bridles, those types of things. I, I'm not really a huge fan of them. I think they're fine. Um, I would say a side pull is probably um, your best bet um, of everything I can think of off the top of my head right now. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping uh, if that hasn't crossed your mind al already, that might be something to try out. There we go. So I... For for people who are less familiar with what a bosal is, and I'm, I have trouble even pronouncing it, much less understanding how Me it too. Works. I'm not sure if I'm even pronouncing it right. <laughs> Some people say bozal, bozal. I say bozal. It's one of those Yeah. Words. So a bozal, there is no fulcrum. Is that right? It does Actually, not create I... pull pressure. Does it or does it not create pull pressure when tension is created on the reins? Um. So it wouldn't necessarily create pull pressure in the way that like an elbow pull or a, like a gag type uh, tool would but I believe there is a fulcrum it does kind of have a leverage so there's a heel knot on the bottom so again it's like an upside down teardrop shape and at the bottom of it is this big ball of rawhide called the heel knot and the way the bazaar is supposed to fit on the horse is um, it's it's a there's going to be a little bit of a gap between the horse's chin and that knot. And that's where all your reins attach to. They tie on top of that knot. But when you lift that up, it will bring the nose of the bazaar down. So it almost acts kind of like a leverage bit would. Well, it's more of a, I, at least I, this is how I understand it. It's the top half of it on the top of the horse's, the bridge of the horse's nose where he, where his blaze is located doesn't contact the bony structure of their head. It does touch on the sides of their heads. And I, I think of that as its, its pivot point. So whenever there is no tension on the reins, the bosal is balanced on their face as if the, it, as if it would have little hinges right there on the sides of their chin about where their gum line is. And when you lift, when you, put tension on the reins, that pivot point um, is activated and the part of the bozal on the bridge of their nose pivots down towards their nostrils and the part underneath of their chin where that big ball heel knot is will rotate up. So it, it rotates yes. that direction. But when I think of pole pressure, I think of the lever action that you would have with a bit that has oh. a curb chain so that when the reins are engaged, the chin strap or curb chain, right. when it become when it comes in contact with the horse's chin, that creates a lever am i getting my physics here right here a lever so that any once that stops then the pole pressure starts to happen see we're getting really complex here. yeah and i'm yeah. wondering if that's what marie is wondering about if there is something that is not a mechanical hackamore that because you can't have pole pressure without a lever there are actually tools out there that are similar like an s hackamore um and there are hackamores that kind of create that more leverage thing. And it's, it, you know, it'll have like two metal pieces on the side. Um, and even though those metal pieces are on the bit, it's not like a mechanical, it, it's, it's not quite like a mechanical hack. Um, I've seen some um, classical dressage trainers, they use bridles like that, where it's got kind of a chin strap to it. It almost acts like a leverage bit, but nothing is in the horse's mouth. And for the most part, the the thing is made entirely of leather. And that's something I will look up and see if I can find a link to what I'm talking about and post it in the auditor page. Yeah, I think um, that would be interesting to have a visual. Yeah. 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 Now that now you're uh, jogging my memory and um, and I'm trying to think of the trainer who uses them so I could give you somewhere to go. But um, I will I will jog my memory and I will post a couple of links of what I'm talking about. And it's something I, I feel it's different than a mechanical type hackamore. Um, 
and it's it's a pretty uh, gentle piece of equipment to use. It does have a bit of leverage, and it will create like it has like a curb strap type of thing on their chin. So I will definitely look into that and get back with you. Well, there we go. Well, that's about all, all the time we have for answering questions today because, as I said, we could just go on and on endlessly and your earbuds would get tired. So to find links to today's guests, you're going to go over to horsesinthemorning.com. If you haven't gone there lately, check it out. Mary, for people who want to quiz you further, for people who want to come by and take lessons from you, for people who want to send you horses to train, for people who want to hire you to do a clinic, for people who want to attend a clinic that someone else has hired you to do, how do they do that? You can find me on Facebook. Uh, my page is Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship. I'm also on Instagram. And my website is marykitzmiller.com. Um, all of those things have contact information for me if you need to get in touch. And uh, yeah, that's where I am on social media. And we'll see you next month, Mary. All right. See ya. See ya.